Thanks for checking out this sermon from Christ the King in Carrollton, Georgia, where our goal is to glorify God by making, training, and sending disciples to engage our neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us online at ctkcarrollton.com, or better yet, join us on a Sunday in Carrollton. Habakkuk chapter 4, that's where we are going to be this morning. It was an interesting week for me. I spent the uh, I spent the first half of the week putting Christmas lights up on our house. As some of you guys know, because I reached out for some help to little avail, by the way. Uh, but um, but but everybody, I appreciate the, 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 uh, the listening ear. Um, so no, we, uh, we got some Christmas lights put up on our house. And um, yeah, I was thinking about Habakkuk 4 as I was putting those lights up. And I was... I was asking the Lord to remember mercy as I was uh, I was thinking I may fall off the roof a couple of times. So um, anyway, that did not happen. But here we are in Habakkuk chapter four this morning. And now I can share with you what I learned on the roof this week. So, um, hey, big idea for the book. We're trying to uh, we're trying to trace this common theme through the book. Every book has a, a main idea, right? Like if you whatever book you uh, if you're reading through just a, a regular text, if you're reading through a novel, there's an idea. There's a main idea within the book, right? There's there's this theme that you can trace from beginning to end. And while it's developed at different points to, to greater and greater degree, there is a main purpose. There is a primary intent, right? Habakkuk is no different. It's the same way. Um, and so I want us to revisit the theme that we have been tracing through Habakkuk over the past three weeks as we prepare to close out this morning. Though violence persists, God does not passively accept injustice, but is actively moving creation, all of creation, towards this glorious day when the people of God are fully rescued and all of God's people said, Amen. Until then... We, the people of God, walk by faith in the promise of our salvation by His strength in joy. Now this last piece is really what we're what we're narrowing our attention in on this morning as we close out this book. But we, we remember throughout the entirety that the call from the Lord is for the righteous to walk in confidence. What is God's desire for you this morning? Well, we can, we can say this, right? That God desires that his people would be about walking in confidence. Ultimately, in his character, his purposes, and his plan, we walk in confidence that he hears, that he sees, that he judges, and that he saves. And that as we read today, there is opportunity for joy in spite of suffering and hardship. In spite of hardship, in spite of difficulty, in spite of of suffering, there is opportunity for joy. We learn this through Habakkuk chapter 4. This is indeed the narrative of scripture, however. Difficulty as a result of sin is to be expected in this life. Anyone familiar with that this past week? Hardship, difficulty, stress, anxiety. These are expectations for our lives in a fallen world. As the people of God, we are not of the position that we can eliminate suffering from the human experience. 
Right? We are not of the position that confessing faith in Jesus will serve to eliminate difficulty in your life. If that is your expectation for what it looks like to follow after Jesus, let us set the record straight this morning. Following Christ does not mean that there will be no difficulty in your life. In fact, that message that there would be this lack of hardship, lack of suffering, lack of difficulty as a result of following after Christ is widely inconsistent, not only with the message of Habakkuk and what it looks like to be of the people of God, but the Bible as a whole. In Habakkuk, we find a prophet of God in the southern kingdom who is super familiar with mental, emotional, and spiritual strain as a result of the moral decay that he is witnessing all around him. Strain that only serves to increase as he learns of God's plan to decimate his land and people at the hands of the Babylonians as he judges As we focus our attention on Habakkuk chapter 4, Habakkuk chapter 3, week 4. See, I told you while I was doing the same thing. We had this conversation this morning. As we turn our attention towards Habakkuk chapter 3, week 4 of this series, let's establish this main idea. This is what we're going to work towards a deeper understanding of through four observations from our text this morning. Number one, right? Main idea. Here it is. In suffering, there is opportunity for joy. As our faithful God preserves, strengthens, and provides stability as we stand on his promises. In suffering, there is opportunity for joy. As our faithful God preserves, strengthens, and provides stability as we stand on his promises, as we stand on his word. Four highlights from Habakkuk chapter 3 that we're going to work through this morning. Number one, and each one of these will be on the screen as we work through the observation. So don't feel like you've got to get all of this down right now. We'll put it up there and then we'll leave it so you can, you can catch up. Number one, there is a correlation between reverence for the Lord, confidence in his character, and worship. This establishes for us a rhythm of Habakkuk chapter 3. What, as a whole, what do we observe in Habakkuk chapter 3? That there is a correlation between reverence for the Lord, which we observe being expressed from Habakkuk through a prayer in verses 1 and 2. Confidence in his character, which we will observe as he recounts or retells the Lord's powerful work in history, time and, and space. And worship, which is what we see happening here. This is worship from Habakkuk. We see him worshiping through through prayer and we see him worshiping through song. And he is encouraging you and I, his people, the people of God, to be about this same type of rhythm. To be about worship as we, as we consider this, this, this reverent, holy, uh, perfect character of our God and his work in the past. That's number one. Number two. Assurance of God's commitment in the present is rooted in God's faithfulness in the past. Assurance of God's commitment in the present is rooted in God's faithfulness in the past. Number three, while positive circumstances and joy... 
Now we're speaking from a from a, a secular position here. Okay, we're talking from a worldly perspective. While positive circumstances and joy seem to be inextricably linked, right? Good circumstances equating with joy. What we find through Habakkuk 3 is that joy in the Lord transcends hardship. What are we saying? We're saying essentially this, that, that we need to disassociate joy and positive circumstance. We need to understand that those two things don't always correlate, right? But in fact, there is this greater joy that is found in the Lord that transcends, it supersedes hardship that we experience uh, situationally and circumstantially in this world. Number four, in renewal and confidence, there is a continued reliance on grace as we move outward into difficulty. Specifically, the grace of God as we move outward into difficulty. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. Number one, if you didn't get all that, that's okay. We're going to work through these and they will stay up on the screen as we, uh, we kind of work our way through. Number one, there is a correlation between confidence, between confident reverence for the Lord, confidence in his character, and worship. We're going to survey a little bit the entirety of Habakkuk for just a moment. I want us to look back and I want us to consider what we read in Habakkuk chapter 1. If Habakkuk's first words to the Lord in chapter 1 are marked by concern and confusion, which they are, then it would be most fair to say that these issues have been resolved as we find him in chapter 3. Let's revisit for a moment. In chapter 1, Habakkuk questions God's lack of action against the sin of Judah. Essentially saying this, God, why do you fail in addressing these issues of sin in our culture among your people, Israel? A question that leads God to reveal his plan to bring the Babylonians into the southern kingdom, which gives way to a whole other host of issues for the prophet. In chapter 2, following a second round of questions, we read a series of five woes and two statements from the Lord intended to refocus Habakkuk and his readers on who God is and how he moves. God represents his mission. Right? He, he reminds Habakkuk of his mission, his commitment from the beginning to fill the earth with a knowledge of his glory. God says, this is what I am about. If you're interested this morning, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, not only with the, with the character of God, but what our God is about, what his purposes are, Habakkuk chapter 2 points us towards the purposes of the Lord. What is the purpose of the Lord? It is to, it is to fill creation with a knowledge of his glory. He is a, a good God. He is a powerful God. He rules and reigns over creation. He does exactly as he pleases. He creates by the power of his word and he redeems and rescues through faith in his promise. This is who God is and this is what he does. And as he does these things, he fills the earth, all of creation, with the knowledge of his glory. This is a mission that we observe being communicated, represented here in Habakkuk chapter 2. But it's a mission that our God remains committed to today. As he saves and equips sinners. Stay with me here because we're about to trace this thing out. Here's what he's doing. 
And here's what he desires from his people. God is saving and equipping sinners to make disciples. Thus he is extending a knowledge of his glory as we go about engaging and participating in mission through the strength of the spirit to the glory of God. We see this knowledge expanding out. God accomplishing his mission. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because here's what it looks like. We, we make disciples, sharing with them his word, the word of God, increasing their knowledge in order to save more sinners, to make more disciples who share his word, all the while calling creation to stand silent before God as he radiates power and holiness. This is what God is doing. He's articulating that in Habakkuk chapter 2, but this is consistent with the biblical narrative as a whole. The call this morning, what I'm desiring from you as God is desiring this from us, is a commitment to this type of life. To say, what does it look for, like for me in every sphere, in every area, to, to live with this desire for a knowledge of the glory of God to permeate our communities. our spheres of influence, our homes, our own lives. Are you guys with me so far? This is what God's doing. We're just, we're, we're, we're seeing how he is articulating this to the prophet because it proves to be most important given that we look at Habakkuk chapter 3 and we go, this guy is almost unrecognizable next to the prophet that we observe in chapter 1. There is a major transformation that has taken place in the life of the prophet. Some of us are sitting in this room this morning and we are in need of major transformation. Okay, We're, we're in need for, for a, a grasping of, an embrace of this re-articulated mission of the Lord. All of this serves to frame Habakkuk's response in verse 2. Let's look at Habakkuk 3 because that's where we are, right? Habakkuk chapter 3. In verse 2... So Habakkuk begins what will become a song with a prayer. The prophet says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. Transformation. Habakkuk has been moved from hesitation to confidence. As we consider the whole story, as we look back and we consider Habakkuk chapter 1, great hesitation, great confusion. Habakkuk, super, super salty in chapter 1, okay? Just to put in like some language that we may be able to wrap our arms around, right? He's, he is upset about what he is observing, and he's even more upset in light of what he hears from the Lord in terms of dealing with this. Hesitation. To confession. This is the transformation that we see. No longer confusion, but confession as we come into Habakkuk chapter 3. Oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear. Fearful reverence of God stemming from his holiness is now observable in the prophet. Indeed, a mark of a blessed man. Proverbs 28 verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. What does it look like to, to fear the Lord? Joy Dawson, a missionary to New Zealand, writes the following. The fear of the Lord be, means being more impressed with God's reactions to our actions than other people's reactions. Let me say that one more time. 
What does it mean? Because Habakkuk is confessing this fear in Habakkuk chapter 3, isn't he? He's like, oh, like you I fear. No longer am I most concerned with the suffering and hardship that is to be brought about at the hands of the Babylonians. But, But it's you, right? It's you that I, that I fear. The fear of the Lord means being more impressed with God's reactions to our actions than other people's reactions. Man, I consider the, the position, and we're going to get into a little bit more of this in just a few minutes, but the position of Habakkuk as he considers in chapter 3 his words to the Lord in chapter 1. Wow, the response of the Lord, how kind and, and gracious to deal with his prophet as he has, as opposed to like just obliterating him. For calling into question the plan and purposes of our sovereign God. Habakkuk is in process of standing in awe of the deeds of the Lord. This is a mark of transformation. We talked about the transformation and what's taken place, right? That Habakkuk 3 uh, Habakkuk is very different than Habakkuk 1 Habakkuk. Right there, there's this, there's this, there's this transformation that seems to have taken place. He is now standing in awe of the work of the Lord. Chapter three ends with an exclamation point to this, but verse two begins leading us this direction. It sets us to understand what is coming down the tracks. As we read through chapter 2, we made a a very specific statement. We said, because chapter 2 is a difficult chapter in Habakkuk. We we made the following statement. We said, let's not run through chapter 2 in order to get to chapter 3. Because chapter 3, we're ending on a high note. Like all things have come together and we go, ah, yes, this is what it looks like. Habakkuk 2 is challenging because we're sitting in this tension. Last we see the prophet, he is standing atop the watchtower, arms crossed, waiting on the Lord's response. And we said as we worked through chapter 2, man, let's take it slow. Let's not rush the prophet's sanctification. We sat in the tension. And now, as we come into chapter 3, we come out of the song of the Lord and we see something new. We see something encouraging as we are often ourselves in need of something new. Something encouraging. As God's prophet to the southern kingdom, if there was any lingering concern with the response of of Judah to the work of the Lord and Habakkuk's participation in their judgment, if that was a connection that anyone would have made, if there was any lingering fear of the expected hardship, the anticipated suffering, at this point, these things appear To demand less and less attention from Habakkuk. His focus is on something else. His focus is on the reaction of the Lord and his promises for the faithful remnant. Listen to what Habakkuk says in part 2 of verse 2. He cries out, he's petitioning to the Lord, he's praying to the Lord. That's what we're reading here. As he prepares to go into song, he's praying on the front end. And he says this, in the midst of the years, revive it. Revive what? Well, revive your your glory again. Revive your, your glory again in the midst of the years, make it known. And then he says this, knowing what's before him. 
knowing the suffering, knowing the hardship that he and his people are to endure at the hands of the Babylonians, but ultimately at the hands of a sovereign God through this tool that he is implementing to bring judgment and desired restoration and repentance. That is the Lord's desire. Habakkuk says this, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Right? Habakkuk's cry is, is simple. God, remember your compassion. Remember your mercy. Remember your compassion. God, preserve life. Preserve life and preserve your promise and provide understanding. These are the statements of a man being confronted and conformed. By the power of the Lord. And his faithful persistence. Throwing himself entirely on the power of God. It's no longer hardship around Habakkuk. That is, that is occupying the most amount of space in his thought. Do you get the picture there? It's no longer suffering. It's no longer hardship. It's no longer question. It's no longer concern. It's no longer confusion. That is paying rent for space in Habakkuk's mind. But what is it? Well, it's, it's, it's this desire for the Lord to revive a work observable in history past in the present. That's what we're seeing from Habakkuk as we continue on through the story. This is the the call. Number two, assurance of God's commitment in the present is rooted in God's faithfulness in the past. Is everybody still with me? Assurance of God's commitment in the present is rooted in God's faithfulness in the past. Habakkuk's opening statement is directly connected with what he knows to be true about God as he reflects back on the things that he has heard of the Lord's might and movement in the past. How God had verse 3 come from the south. Covering the earth with his splendor, filling the earth with his praise. In verse 4, he recounts the appearance of God out Mount Sinai post-Exodus. And he writes the following, his, his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Habakkuk is remembering That's what he's doing here. He's he's remembering and he is recording the deliverance of the people of God from Egypt as God has stretched out his strong hand against Pharaoh, leading and liberating Israel from slavery. He measured the earth, verse 6, and shook the nations with judgment, scattering the mountains and bringing the high places low. These are the ways of our everlasting God. A God who delivers his people 
A God who, verses 7 and 8, is seated upon a chariot of salvation. Victorious through Joshua over Gibeah, causing the sun and the moon to stand still in their place. Here's what Habakkuk is doing. He's looking back and he's, he's telling himself, recording these, these stories of what he knows to be true about how God has worked in history. He's finding comfort for suffering and hardship in the future by way of of the Lord's faithfulness and his work in the past. Does that make sense? What he's doing here, right? He's, He's looking back and he's going, this is what I know to be true about who the Lord is. This is what I know to be true about the way in which the Lord works. We would imagine that there would be countless instances in which as a child, Habakkuk would be gathered around and there would be this retelling of the Lord's mighty works. The way he had delivered his people, the way that he caused the the sun and the moon to stand still, the way that he had given his people victory amid certain defeat. Promises from the Lord that have proven to be true, right? You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, fighting for their rescue. This is who God is. This is what he does. He he fights for the rescue of his people. He delivers them. In chapter 1, Habakkuk is questioning whether or not the Lord even hears him. He accuses the law, the word of the Lord, of being paralyzed, of being perverted, of being ignored by the people, rejected. Calamity seems to be wearing the crown. And now he is revisiting instance after instance after instance of the Lord's faithfulness in the past that ensures and makes possible, as we will see, joy for Habakkuk in the present. How difficult, like let's just think about this for a second. It's not even as though Habakkuk is in the position of like current suffering. There is this expectation of future hardship. So it's not even like, okay, I'm I'm in it and now like I'm looking forward to this point in which I will be out of it. But there is this expectation for what hardship might look like. That makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? You don't even know how hard it is. I remember uh, w- when we had our first child, right? When Courtney and I had our first child and um, the kind of the, the fears and anxieties like going into that process because you're like, man, I have no idea like what this is going to look like, right? I have no idea what to expect. In wrath, remember mercy, right? Like this type of thing, right? Now, number two comes along and you're like, okay, I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more comfortable now, right? Like I, I know what to expect. I'm able to anticipate, Man, Habakkuk is in this place where it's like, I'm not even sure what this looks like. And so I'm just fully relying on the Lord's faithfulness in the past. Man, God fights for his people. He fights for their rescue. For the salvation of your anointed. You, God, crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. 
You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I mean, we had in chapter one, this picture of, of, of eagles mounted on the backs of horses that moved like leopards. Do you guys remember this? What vivid imagery, what terrifying imagery from Habakkuk there early on, right? And yet now we see, man, there is, there is no comparison, right? Between, between those who, who work in, in opposition to this filling in the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the Lord. God, this is who you are, Habakkuk is telling himself. Habakkuk is comforting. He is singing this truth. God, this is who you are, and this is how you have worked. Verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs tremble beneath me. As we arrive at this statement, it becomes less and less clear, at least for a moment, as to what is producing the physical response Habakkuk is describing. Is it fear of the Babylonians? Is it fear of the Lord? Or maybe is it a little bit of both? If I were to present the same question without any other context, apart from chapter 1 and 2, we would likely lean towards Babylon. The certainty of suffering upon the horizon for the prophet and his people. At the same time, as we look to chapter 3, it is clear that a very real, very radical transformation has taken place in the prophet. A transformation that begins with a renewed perspective of the character of God. Habakkuk has come to realize that he must wait for the destruction of his people before God will unleash his power against the Babylonians. This is what it looks like. This is how I am moving forward. Habakkuk now knows, despite Judah's evil, Babylon's success, and the suffering of the faithful remnant that remains, that God will act. God will act to redeem his people. Habakkuk is confident in this point. Habakkuk is confident in this point, a belief built not on speculation, but on the consistent character of God. And so the question that you and I must ask ourselves as we digest and seek to apply what we are reading to our lives is this. When we find ourselves in seasons of trouble, When we find ourselves in seasons of hardship and seasons of difficulty and seasons of uncertainty, confusion, calamity, and sorrow, where do we find comfort? Habakkuk helps us to answer that question here. We recount instances of the faithfulness of God in the past. Real, historical instances of mighty moves of God to rescue because God has acted this way in the past. We can trust that he remains committed and will act in the future. Where do we go in seasons of suffering? Where do we go amid calamity? We go to the Lord. We go to his word and we are reminded again and again and again of his faithfulness. 
This is who God is, and this is the way that He works. In the same way that God has previously led His people out of bondage through the first exodus from Egypt, He will lead them out again. This is His promise. He will rescue and He will restore His people. And Habakkuk is at this point believing this to be true, regardless of what circumstance has to say. One benefit that you and I have. One benefit that you and I have is that we can see the means through which God would ultimately accomplish this work. We talk about God's, God's deliverance of his people and his leading them out. The history of the people of God is, is filled with, with situation and circumstance of hardship and bondage and liberation and hardship and bondage and liberation. And yet we know that all of this finds its, its ultimate home in Christ. The Son of God who, who comes up out of Egypt, who did many signs and wonders and died to satisfy God's judgment on sin and to save His people from their enemies. God is faithful. God is, is faithful. Before us are instances that support this point. And so the question is, how will we respond? Number three, while positive circumstances and joy seem to be linked, what we find through Habakkuk 3 is that joy in the Lord transcends Hardship. Look with me at verse 16. What does Habakkuk say as he, as he recounts these, these instances? He says this, rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me yet, but I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. The promise of the Lord in Habakkuk chapter 2 to judge the wicked Babylonians. Habakkuk says, I will wait. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, verse 18, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Not I will take joy in how easy and plush and comfortable existence is. But I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The joy of the righteous is rooted in God and his work to save. Did you get that? As God's people gather together in this room and take heart, here it is, right? The joy of the righteous is rooted in God and his work to save. We see the purpose of pain as we survey the New Testament where this theme is further developed. What does James say in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3? He says this, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let us be clear this morning. Listen to this. This is important. (laughs) Okay? Let us be clear. Christian joy does not mean that we ignore suffering or grief. It does not mean that. Instead, We are of the position that suffering and grief can lead us into joy. Even in suffering, 
there is opportunity for joy. Why? Well, because we're confident that the Lord works in it. That's what James has to say in James chapter 1. That it's purposeful. That there is intent. And that God is accomplishing his mission even through that. In times of physical and spiritual hunger, joy, right? And in times of emotional turmoil, physical suffering, confusion, and even hesitation. In each of these, there is opportunity for joy. How? How in the world do you grasp that? John Piper writes the following. He says, when we have little and have lost much... Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than what we have lost. And when we have much and are overflowing in abundance, Christ comes and he shows that he is far superior to everything that we have. And then he closes with this. He says, the secret of joy in the hardest of times is the supremacy of the sovereignty of Christ and the supremacy of the sweetness of Christ. What is, what is Piper saying? Well, he's, he's saying this. He's saying the secret of joy in the hardest of times is Christ's ability to supersede. Right? It's, it's the ability of Christ to, to comfort right? and to show himself to be supremely valuable. It is this confidence that we have as his people, as the righteous, that even amid suffering, that our king reigns. That he exercises perfect, sovereign strength over the world. And he is bringing about his purposes. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. Man, in Christ we have all that we need. In Christ, we have all that we need for joy. We have all that we need to sustain us amid hardship. We have all that we need to keep us through suffering. In Christ, we have all that we need. Habakkuk teaches us that our joy is not linked to circumstance, but our joy is linked to Christ. Man, hashtag joy linked to Christ, right? Man, say that to Thanksgiving. Number four, we're going to round out quickly here. In renewal and confidence, there's a continued reliance on, the, on God's grace as we move outwardly into difficulty. In verse 19, Habakkuk writes the following. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's by grace that this transformation has taken place in Habakkuk. It's through this same consistent work of grace that you and I undergo this same type of transformation, embracing the work of God to accomplish his mission. Our lives and perceptions speak truth of the transforming power of God to the world. 
with chapter 3 comes evidence of the renewal of his prophet. He has considered what he has heard of the Lord in the past. And it has led him to this beautiful display of worship. Through Habakkuk chapter 3, there are three points of Selah. Does anybody have that, that note in your margins? Now, there are a number of thoughts as to what this mark means. In many cases, it is an indication for pause while singing the song that is recorded. This is a song, and so if we were to adopt this position, I don't think that anybody's going to argue with us. In the case of Habakkuk, however, others consider this mark to be a point of pause for consideration of what has just been confessed. That we have just said something about the Lord and and Habakkuk is encouraging his readers to stop and to consider what this previous statement means and how it informs the way that we ought to think and feel. In either case, whichever we ascribe, it would be most helpful to pause at this point and to consider what we have read. And to, and to note a few questions that would be helpful in processing and applying it. And so let me give you one question for us to all consider. A question that I think Habakkuk is encouraging us to, to ask how do you embrace suffering? How do you embrace hardship and, and uncertainty in faith for God's future work? What does that look like? How do, you, how do you do it? Well, again, I think Habakkuk informs our answer. Right? You, you recount God's past faithfulness in anticipation of his future faithfulness. In in seasons of doubt, we recount the ways in which God has been faithful in the past. How he has kept his promises to past saints like Noah and Abraham, Sarah and Jacob, Ruth, David, the apostles. The list goes on and on. And so perhaps even as we sit here and we prepare to come to the table, maybe, maybe it looks a little different for you as you approach the table this week. Knowing that Habakkuk is driving us to worship the Lord in expectation of suffering. This is a most helpful question for you and I to consider, well aware that suffering is a reality in our world and an expectation for our lives. Maybe it looks like as we prepare to come to the table, you just sit for a moment and you go, man, in what ways? We're preparing for Thanksgiving, for goodness sake, right? Like, we, like what do we have to be thankful for? Like the faithfulness of the Lord. And in this instant, as I reflect back, the Lord has been so faithful. Like here are instances of his faithfulness recorded in his word. And and in terms of personal experience, man, here's the ways in which the Lord has, has carried me through. Here are the ways in which the Lord has demonstrated faithfulness and compassion. Here's the way the Lord has demonstrated mercy. Here's the ways in which his grace has been sufficient. In seasons of immense sorrow, the closeness of the Lord, the way that he has drawn near to his people through his spirit the way that he calls and equips the church to to rally around and to love one another these are evidences of God's grace 
He promises to work in this way in his word. And so as we recount these instances, we go, yes, naturally, of course, I trust the Lord. I worship the Lord. I have joy in the Lord. It doesn't matter what's going on in this season or the next. Confidence in him. Are, we, are you with me? In suffering, there is opportunity for joy. As our faithful God preserves strengthens and provides stability as we stand on his promises. Through suffering and through hardship, the Father accomplishes the great work of rescuing sinners to himself. We see this in Christ, the all-sufficient one. In Christ and in his work for us on the cross, we find this this beautiful display of the faithfulness of God. The promise to, to, to send the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. So that those who had who had run from the Lord, who had rejected the Lord, could by grace be purchased back. As we reflect on the cross, as we prepare to come to the table, forgiven people, adopted children, we come joyfully celebrating, high-fiving, dapping out one another, confident that our faithful God remains committed to his plan and purpose. That he will use us now to advance this this message, this knowledge of his glory throughout all of creation as we take the message of Jesus, our king, who saves us as we call out, as we cry out to him for forgiveness. Man, we have we have opportunity for joy and we can endure suffering all because Christ has endured suffering on our behalf. Man, how incredible a news is that? As we close, as I pray and we prepare to come to the table, man, let us not forget what we have observed over the course of these three chapters of this minor prophet tucked away here at the end of the Old Testament. What a rich book Habakkuk is. May we be a joy-filled people. May we be a worshipful people. We're going to have an opportunity to respond and to worship in just a few minutes. And so may God's word, perfect and errant and fallible inform the way that we go about leaning in and engaging with this. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good and perfect God. You love us. You rescue us. You sustain us. You lift us up out of our sin. You set our feet upon the high places. You fix our attentions on Christ. We pray that you would renew this work in us. That you would give us a a desire, a passion for a knowledge of your glory and your supremacy to infiltrate every area of our lives, every area of our communities and our and our homes and our workplaces, that we would be a people that are that are eager and willing to enter into suffering, if that be your will, in order to accomplish your purpose as you use us in this most incredible way. As we come to the table, Father, remind us, bring our into remembrance in our minds, 
instances of your faithfulness. You are a faithful God and therefore we can entrust all that we have to you because we know that you are faithful. We know that you are good. We know that you are committed to accomplishing your mission. Transform our hearts. Knit together our hearts with your heart. Knit together our hearts with one another's hearts as we desire to be a church committed to heralding this message. We love you and we are grateful for your love for us. And it is in the strong name of Jesus, our King, that we pray. Amen.